church. Give him a shout. Hallelujah. We give you praise, Jesus. And you may be seated. Without further ado, I want to welcome Dave. I think, are you going to come up first, Dave, and then introduce the team to us? Or they're all coming up? Just yourself? Come on, let's show Dave a welcome. Oh, no, they're all coming up. Fantastic. Brilliant. Come on, give him a big shout and a big clap. This is our prison ministry team. Wonderful. Over to you, Dave. God bless you. Well done, mate. Thank you. Dear Lord, I thank you. I thank you for your calling on this team, this amazing team. I thank you, Lord, for your ability to open doors to us, to allow us into prisons so that we're trusted. I thank you, Lord, for your word that we can preach to prisoners, many who believe that they are lost. I thank you, Lord. Let me introduce the team. Stella. I think I lead the team. Stella, as my wife, I know my position. <laughs> Helen, Paul, Mick, Faith. Have a seat. My job this morning is to tell you the when, the where, but the most important bit, the why. And I was sitting down there. You see, three o'clock this morning, I woke up and I, I knew what I was going to say. I'd prepared it. I'd prepared the verses. I'd sent information in. And I'm sitting there and it's all gone. <laughs> I can't remember how I was going to start. <laughs> and then suddenly, our musicians are singing. And they tell me the whole meaning of our work in part of a song. I scribbled it down. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You see, there are so many people we see in prisons who don't know that. And it's this team. This team that goes in week after week after week and they take the message of the word of the Lord into the prisoners. I've got a title for today. It's called A Test of Faith. As a team, we've existed 24, 25 years. 
I've been going into prisons now for 22 years. And on a Sunday, between 16 and 20 Sundays a year, we go out into prisons. We do the whole service. Sometimes we do two services on a Sunday morning. We do the praise, the worship, and the singing, the preaching, and the praying. And sometimes we'll have a small group of prisoners, 30. And other times it's 70 and 80. And if you take that group and you add it together over the year and multiply it by the number of Sundays we were out and the number of years we're out, we've taken the word of the Lord to 32,000 prisoners. We go to Cardiff, Usk, Swansea, Park, Layhill in Gloucester, and Eastwood Park Women's Prison in Gloucester. And we preach a message of hope and grace and redemption. And it's a test of faith because we go in and we look at the prisoners and we think, hmm, I'm not going to ask why they're here. We preach to youngsters. We preach to men and women who have been in prisons and they're now in their 30s and 40s. And we preach to prisoners who have committed horrendous crimes. And it's a test of faith to go in and do that. So why do we do it? Sorry, I've just realized I can read up there. <laughs> if we went in and just talked, it would be talking. But we've got to go in based on faith and the Bible. So we're going to look at Matthew 25, verse 34. Jesus is, he's about to go into Jerusalem. He's about to be arrested. He's about to die. And he talks to his disciples and others and, he's, and they say to him, Sorry, can we go back to 34? When the son, they ask him and they say, Lord, when the Son of Man comes to his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on the glorious throne. All of the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people from one another um, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Seems strange. But he explains it. And he says to them, 
For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. And I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. That's why we go. The Lord gives us a command. He says, when I was in prison, you visited me. And they say, and then the righteous will answer him and they'll say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did you see you as a stranger invite you in and needing clothes and clothed you? When did we see you sick or in prison to visit you? And the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. That is the foundation of our work in prison. We take the word of the Lord to the prisoners. If we didn't do it, who would? There's a bit in here where when the Lord said, you came to visit me, he didn't say, but only visit those. Those are the nice prisoners. Yeah, take the message. Yeah, go and preach to those. Those are the nice people. These, hmm, don't know about this lot. But definitely don't speak to those. See, the Lord didn't choose. I learned that very painfully one day. I'm in part prison. And being an ex-teacher, you watch people come through the door. And they're coming in and I'm going, right. Uh, Yeah seen that man before he'll sit there he's doing bible study classes he'll be fine and this lot yep yeah they want to change they want to listen to some music they want a chance to sing but this lot over here i'm sorry i don't know why i picked on you lot over there you lot over there you're there to do the drugs deals you're there to sit amongst yourselves and do the drugs deals I was stupid. I stood there and I said, um, Lord, it's going to be a tough day today. Oh. There's a word in my head from the Lord, and it's not a happy word. He says to me, You don't choose who you take my message to. You are only the messenger. I work the miracles. Ah. That taught me. You see, because we don't only just take the word in to those prisoners. We take the word in and the Lord works on it. I can remember a prisoner. I won't mention the the actual prison, but 
we were there, and in the front row, four men used to sit. Every Sunday we were in, the four of them were serving 25 years in prison each. And one of them came to me after and said, um, I told my mother she's got to come to you at church. He said, I obviously can't because I've got another 15 years to go. But I've told my mother to come. He said, because we like what you're telling us. So three weeks later, his mother turns up and she says, you're David. You've been talking to my son. He tells me I should come here. She stayed. I think she stayed something like six, seven years. Not only did she stay, but after a while she brought her grandchildren. And her grandchildren got baptized here. Now on all those days when we preached the word of the Lord to those prisoners, we weren't expecting that result. I'm going to stop. I'm going to hand you over to Stella. Stella's going to talk to you about how prayer can work in prisons. Can you take your stuff off there, Dave? Yeah. Good morning. And just for those of you to know, Dave's pinched a bit of what I was going to say there. So. Dave and I might be in prison ministry, but we're still husband and wife at the end of the day. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> okay, what do we do with prayer? Well, we pray both corporately, that's as a group, um, and we pray individually for the work that we are doing, are going to do. Um, when we meet, we pray, um, obviously for the work. It's not our ministry, it belongs to the Lord. And we seek all the time to do what he asks us to do, not what we can dream up. When we have finished in a prison, you will find us in the car park behind one of the cars, praying out loud in a circle. Not when it's absolutely teeming down, but a light mist, it's not a problem. <laughs> and we pray. We pray for not just the prisoners, but the chaplaincy. And we pray that the word that has gone out is watered by the Lord. And Mick, in particular, often gets, and I know this, you to pray for us. We may be on the stage, but you are involved in what goes on. Now, I know that before we have uh, a booking, a meeting in a prison, I find the Holy Spirit leaning on me left, right, and double center to pray for those that the Lord wants to be in that service. And I'm not just talking about the prisoners because I find sometimes when we get there, the guards 
uh, uh, Gog at the back. In fact, <clears throat> once I, it was my turn, we all take turns to speak, once it was my turn to speak in Cardiff, and I became very aware of a guy at the back with a guard uniform on who had a very red face. He'd clearly been hit in the bottle. And he was hanging on every word that was said. And even at the end, when he should have been escorting prisoners back to the respective wing which he was in control of, he made his way very quietly and very slowly to the side of the chapel. He needed to hear what was being said. So we are not just preaching to prisoners, we're preaching to all sorts of people. Now sometimes I'm quite set on what I'm going to say if it's my turn to speak. But as we know, in fact those of you who are watching Heart for the House in September saw Dave and I give a, a brief statement about what we do. And I knew at that time when I needed to speak that I needed to change only a day or so before what I had to say. And I knew I had to speak on the Grenfell stay put policy, uh, which I, I'm, I'm in construction and it's certainly been a matter which we have paid a lot of attention to. Uh, Grenfell. And I knew that I needed to say how you need to put your trust in God, even if it's not comfortable, because only he knows what's coming. And he will signpost us where we need to be. And if you remember, I said in that short clip, at the end of a very quiet service, one guy right at the front jumped up right at the end and he said, that's for me. What you've said, that's for me. I've just been asked to go to detox, but I get out in a few weeks' time. I don't want to go. I want to go home. Because this detox is in Edinburgh. I want to go home. I don't want to go all the way up there. But he said, now I know. I have to do detox from what you said. And that's what's confusing sometimes, is when you pray for prisoners to be there, you know, Lord, I want you to bring to the service those who you want there. Sometimes the numbers are down. Dave's already said, we often get 70, 80 people crammed in a room. They sometimes have to split it to two services because there's just too many and they're not made to go. It is purely voluntary. And when you get typically 60 or 70 guys or women in a service, um, and then when you get there, there's only 20. Your heart goes a bit of a stop because you think, you're so burning with the word, you're so convinced you have to deliver this word. But actually, there's not that many people there to hear it. But I personally, and I think us as a team, have learned that's got, still got God written all over it. How many times in the Old Testament did God say, no, no, you've got too many warriors, guys, cut them down. Yeah. How many times did he say, no, no, I'm in the small things. Yeah. And the smaller the number, the greater the impact sometimes of the word. 
And I'd just like us all to stop for a second and think to ourselves, yeah, thank you, God, for being in the small things. Now, this is the bit where, Dave's already said this bit, we're very excited when our word goes out beyond the prison walls too. When we go into prisons, we're checked through security, escorted to the chapel, we get set up, Mike, Lecton, da 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 and, we're, and then we wait for the prisoners from their respective wings. We sing, we pray, we share testimony and a relevant word, and they leave, and we leave, and it's all fine till the next time. But we know that a prisoner in Cardiff had heard us, didn't have um, you know, the ability to come to us at the time, but he told his mum on the phone when it was his turn to have a call how he enjoyed King's service. So she decided to come here and try it out. And I won't repeat what Dave said. So let's just give God the glory for a moment that he speaks even beyond the prison walls. God is not contained within anything. But we're not the only ones praying for prisoners. When we're set up and waiting for the prisoners to come in off the wards, uh, wings, beg your pardon, wings, I often look around the chapels. You might say I'm nosy, but I'm interested. You know, they have resources, all such things. This is a prison, a prisoner's newspaper. They can write in here, there's articles about the latest approach to regulation and so on. So I'm having a look around. And the chapels are all very different. In Park Prison, it's a room. In Cardiff, in Cardiff Prison, it's like a cathedral with hammer beam roofs and everything. Swansea, I think I'd slit my throat if I was in Swansea. Swansea is a very scruffy, demountable old classroom, and it's absolutely loaded on the roof with razor wire. Eastwood Park and Lay Hill could win a place at the Royal Chelsea Garden Show. They are absolutely stunning. And they're set in very formal and sheltered and beautiful gardens. So I'm busy having a look. I'm having a look round. But I always look at their prayer trees. Now, all prisons appear to have prayer trees. And I read with interest, before the guys arrive from the wings, what they are praying for. And without exception, they obviously have great love for grandparents, aunts or uncles, people who've cared for them over the year and been kind to them. And the prisoners clearly value them and miss them. And some of them have passed on, and so they're mourning their loss. You know, again, it reminds me, God is good. And we remember his faithfulness and kindness and prisoners do. You know, I just like to give the glory to God that he has wired us, and I include prisoners in this, he has wired us to respond to love and kindness and not to evil. And again, others' prayer tree messages are for those who are ill or having to go to hospital. And 
quite often fellow inmates then pray for the safety and the well-being of their children while they can't be with them and do it for themselves. So again, there's more evidence. These prisoners have got hearts. All we have to do is reach out and tell them that actually God's wired them for love. And so I quite often scribble down and ask these prisoners, and I ask to pray for them during the services. It's a way of being more relevant to them and sharing their sorrows and helping their prayer burdens. And indeed, in Eastwood Park, they take the prayer issue a step further. They're unique in this, to our knowledge anyway. While waiting for all prisoners to come into the chapel, the women are encouraged to write simple prayers on scraps of paper, and these are gathered into a basket. These requests can number 50 or 60, so given the number of prisoners attending the chapel. And without missing one of these prayer requests, they take a break after the worship and selected few stand up and read each one of these prayers out. I often put one in the basket so the prisoners know we have fears and needs too. But one morning a girl got up to read the prayer slips and before she did her turn, she gave a testimony about an answered prayer. She had had a baby years ago and gave it up for adoption. She got her life together and worked and 10 years later got involved with the wrong people and got pregnant again and was sent to prison. But she knew, given what she'd done, she faced many, many years inside. And she was absolutely heartbroken to think that she would lose the chance to raise this baby, this second chance at being a mum. She just couldn't face not being a mum to this new baby. So she told the girls that she prayed. She attended chapel. She didn't know what she was doing, but she attended chapel. She knew she wanted to be a mum, but she faced many years in prison and somebody else raising that child. And she told the girls, she said, I prayed. I prayed earnestly. I prayed regularly. I beat the walls. I walked the paths. I went up the wall, I came down the other wall, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. And when she went to court, against all the odds, her case didn't go the anticipated way. And most unusually, the judge allowed her to plead a particular defence, which meant that she only served 18 months inside. And then she would be released to a place where she could be with her daughter forever. Let's just give God the glory. Amen. Stella's told you about the, the power of prayer in prisons. And it can affect people greatly. And to tell you that, I'm going to hand you over to Mick. Thank you, Dave. Good morning, church. I was just looking round, you know, and I, uh, I can't see any uh, bars on the windows or the locks on the doors. 
or chains, you know. But when I was in prison, my own personal prison, oh, there were lots of windows, lots of bars on the windows there. Bars unforgiveness and resentment and fear, pride. I couldn't see clearly because of them. Couldn't see out. The chains, quite simple. Guilt, shame and remorse held me tight, you know. Kept me chained inside there. The chains were on the inside, not on the outside. A lock was on the door of my heart, on the inside. Stopped me from getting out. But stopped Jesus from getting in. And you know, I found the key, eventually. I found the key to open this, this lock. The key was my surrender to him. And I only found that when the pain was too great, the burden too heavy. I reached out and I opened this, this lock, opened the door, went to go out, but Jesus rushed in. To Jesus, chain breaker, planet shaker, peacemaker. He came in, you know, before I could get out. He came in, broke every chain, tore down the strongholds of my life. I gave me a peace, one I never knew. My life was in pieces, but I never knew peace. And that's what happened, you know. And I'm just going to say, if anybody here is in that same place, let Jesus in. Just let him in, man, because it's what set me free, you know. And I stand here today a free man. You know, and uh, that's just an appetizer, really, I guess. Because uh, I've been asked to, to give a testimony of my life and, uh, and the prison ministry. Why, why do I go to prison? And uh, I asked myself that a long time ago, but uh, God changed all that. And, um, you know, so I've got about eight minutes to cram 65 fun packs action-packed years into, uh, so don't interrupt me, I've got to keep going here. So here we go, I was, uh, I was born a very young age, up in South Yorkshire, a small mining village, and my parents were, were Catholics, and um, you know, church was massive in their lives, well, certainly in my mum's life, and um, quite strict and all of that. My dad never really mentioned his faith. He talked to me about fishing and football and girls, and he never really mentioned his faith or God, but uh, well, my mum did. She made sure we were in church three times on Sunday, Sunday school, you know, all that stuff. And um, as she told me about God, every time I didn't eat my greens, God was going to punish me. Every time I pulled my sister's hair, I was going to hell. <laughs> she told me about God and what he was going to do. And uh, I think I spent most of my childhood with a red dot on my forehead. In God's crosshairs, you know, didn't do anything. But I was set free at the age 14. Thank you. Because sex, drugs and rock and roll came into my life. And that broke me free from all that stuff of religion and all that nonsense and... Uh, so I led a life that, um, well, a life I wouldn't want my kids to lead, but it was a life that frightened my family, frightened my sisters, terrified my mum and dad. 
but became normal for me. And uh, so I carried on this life for a, quite a long time, really, you know, and uh, it did what that sort of life would do. Took me to places I didn't want to be, people I didn't want to be with, doing things I didn't want to do, but I didn't know another way. So I kept on doing them, you know. And uh, so eventually took me to a place. I was 23. I was staying at one of the Queen's hotels in London. And I invited my mum down to come and visit me. She came down there and, and, and during this visit she said, you know, Michael, I pray for you every day. I said, mum, why don't you pray for someone that God can help? Stop wasting your time on me. See, that wasn't low self-worth I had, that was pride. How could God help me? So, and I carried on then, but over the next 26 years then, lots of events happened in my life. I was married, had children, divorced, lots of jobs. I had a career change. I stopped using drugs daily and drank. So my change was from addict to alcoholic, you know. And so I'd not changed on the inside, see. Everything around me had changed. My circumstances changed. My values changed. I hadn't changed. I'm still the same person. 26 years after that, my mum asked me, prayed for me. I remember going up to Yorkshire and uh, I said to her, Mum, I prayed for you today. She said, I knew you would one day. She didn't do cartwheels. She didn't come and hug me or anything. She just told me how it was, you know, how her faith was. And uh, that's a faith that, uh, you know, I aspire to. It's a faith I, uh, you know, I haven't got right now. But the main thing was that, you know, and that was in October 2002. She died in December 2002, you know, and she saw me clean and sober for the first time. <clears throat> You know, my dad never had that privilege. He saw me at the height of all the action and uh, in the thick of it. But, uh, you know, I can't do anything about that. But the, the real thing was that, uh, you know, after that, as she died in uh, December, she'd seen me clean and sober. And, and then the following September, my ex-wife died. You know, we'd separated. I was living away. Uh, we got three children, I came back, and uh, it was a chaotic time then, and, uh, but my life had always been chaotic, you know, I didn't know peace, I wouldn't know it until Jesus showed it to me, but my life was quite chaotic and dramatic, and I lived in various places, worked around the world, couldn't settle, but I had to come back then to, uh, to Newport for my children, but I had trouble with a guy. I was living in Ross at the time, Ross and White. Trouble with a guy in Newport because of what was happening with my family. And uh, so I made a decision that, um, well, I'm just going to kill him. Because I tried all the other actions. I'd been in the ring with him twice. I tried to reason with him. But nothing happened. Nothing worked. And so I only knew this way out. I was driving down the, uh, the dual carriageway between Ross and, and Newport and uh, just outside Monmouth. 
something happened. You know, I was pulled into a lay-by. I've been showing this, this video of all what my actions were going to do to my family, to people that knew me, people that loved me, people that hated me. All it was going, you know, there wasn't a dry eye in that, uh, in that video. There wasn't a smile on people's faces, you know. And uh, I didn't carry out that action. I didn't know what was happening because I wanted to carry it out. But I turned around and I, I went back home. And uh, things changed then. Just around this time as well, I started work with this company and, and the boss there had given me a Bible when I started with him. This was uh, about two years, just before, just before my mum passed away, just before that period. And he gave me this, this Bible and I just took it off of him and put it in the desk, just thought it was some other religious nut, you know. Didn't want to know him. And um, so that stayed in my desk then for a couple of years until this incident happened. And... Uh, I started talking to him and he started telling me about the gospel, started telling me about all that had happened. But just before, as I was um, going down to, to jump in my car to go down to Newport, um, he stood in front of me because he had the conversation I'd had on the phone with this guy and he put on the whole armour of God. He put on the helmet of salvation and the best prayer and all that sort of stuff. And I just picked him up and threw him out of the way. Because my mission was set in stone and I was going. And so after that then, I went back home and I had to start looking at things slightly differently and, and start looking and, and looking to people like Jeff and people like that who could show me a different kind of life. Otherwise, I was just at some point, I was going to carry this out. So that didn't happen. And eventually... Things did happen. I, I was uh, back with my family. And uh, it was another two years before, before I let Jesus into my life, you know. This was my first encounter with him on, you know, on, 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 uh, outside Monmouth. But I still didn't let him in. It was another two years. And I went to a church in Newport. And uh, I just gave my life to Christ then. I was baptised later, I did the Alpha course and the uh, Freedom in Christ course, all sorts of different courses, just trying to, because I needed this now, I wanted this sort of life, you know, didn't want what I had. I wasn't drinking, I wasn't using, but I still wasn't whole, there was still something missing in, in me at that time, so. And uh, my daughter was worshipping in this church, I eventually came came here to King's then in 2007 and uh, you know I'd love to say it was a, a smooth ride and everything was great but no it wasn't you know because God had a lot of work to do in me a lot of edges to smooth out and a, a lot of lines to straighten and um, I didn't want him to do it a lot of the time you know so we had a big tussle over the years and we still do today <laughs> But he's got the upper hand. He's, he's got more power than me. And so today, you know, over that, that time, lots of things had happened. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd, I'm grateful for this church because it never kicked me out when it, when it saw who I was. Because it's about being open with people. I can't, you know, just sit at the back 
and, and come in and walk out. You know, I needed what, what is on offer here. I needed his grace. I needed the power that we have here. And, um, and you know, so I've been part of this church for a little while now. And the, the, but it's, you know, in 2010, I was sat, well, the roads aren't there now. I was sat now where Colwyn was there. So I'd move over, Col, when I finish this. <laughs> because I was still there. We were in the praise and worship. My good friend Steve was with me. And the next thing, bang, I was sat down in the chair and something had hit me. And a voice was saying to me, your past will lead your future. And I'm like, no idea what that was. But I know by the end of the service, I was talking to Dave. And I said something about prison ministry, introduced me to, to the other Dave. And that's how I got involved in, in prison ministry. It wasn't something I'd looked at at a portfolio and ticked them off and thought, well, I don't, I'm not really a musician, I'll cancel that. I could do this. You know, this is out of holy. But you see, the thing is that God never chose me because of my past. He chose me for my future. Because it's in his hands my future lay. It's in his hands that I live here today, you know. He had that future mapped out for me. I just had to give that response to him. Just had to let him know who's boss. And he ain't me. And it's all about him. And, and, you know, like, you know, we go into, as been said earlier, you know, we go into prisons and uh, talk to these guys. You see, only a few months ago, Holy Spirit spoke to me and he showed me a scripture, John 20, verses 19 to 20. And Jesus went to the upper room after the resurrection. All the disciples were in there in array, in fear, thought the Jews were going to come and crucify them. And Jesus went in there and showed them his wounds. My peace I give to you. That's what he told them. And that's what he's told me to do. When I go into prison, that's all it is, you know. I don't preach the gospel. I am the gospel, you know. I'm not telling people what God will do. I have to show him what he has done. You know, because these guys are, are hurting. These guys are starting the journey I've done. You know, and there's only one ending for it, through Jesus. There's many endings in the other way. But through Jesus, there's one ending, and it ends in death to that old life, being reborn. And I think I'll leave it there. God bless you all. Today we've brought back Dave Escott. Dave led our team superbly for many years. Yes, Dave. And uh, I thought to myself, when Haley said that to me this morning, perhaps she thinks I'm a dog. But... 
Only a joke. <laughs> but seriously, I, I, I've been listening to the guys. I, I left in at the end of 2016, and uh, I've been listening to them this morning, and you can see how real, uh, you know, Mick is, particularly when he goes into prison. He's got such a wonderful testimony that resonates so much with the guys in prison, you know? And um, again, I pick up on things that Dave and, and uh, Stella have said. Um, they've always wanted to be real in front of them, you know? And for my part, when I used to go into um, the prisons, I always wanted to take a bit of kings in with us. You know, I think, in all honesty, I think sometimes we don't appreciate what we have here. Now, I'm not saying it to praise individuals. We know that Jesus is the head of this church. We're left in no doubt from Pastor uh, Dave and Pastor, Pastor Ray, uh, Pastor Fay. So we're left in no doubt who's in charge and who makes the decisions in this church. But, you know, within the different ministries we've got, you know, um, uh, since I've uh, finished in the prisons, and probably just before I left the prisons, I, I started to go out with a friend of mine. We do a, a couple of churches in um, Barrie, and I do a church in Cardiff where we, my wife and I got married, you know. So in the one of them, I preach. Now, I don't preach as such. I do what Mix does, and I try to put something in my life uh, that God has worked on and try to sort of put it over because I'm talking to people who possibly have been in prison and who possibly, they're certainly not... Um, doing well in life. So I always want to sh sort of show them, as Mick does, what God will do if you'll allow him, you know? Uh, but when I go out to um, churches and I do, I help them with praise and worship, when I say I help them, I, I am basically the praise and worship along with Bob who helps me, he's a singer as well, you know? So the two of us are singing but just one guitar. And I think we come to this church and we've got a fantastic praise and worship team, you know? We've got a fantastic youth thing. I, I mean, you know, when I go to uh, churches, the churches I go to, very old, you know, the elderly, it, 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 there's, there's very little uh, youth there and very, very few young people. It's the lifeblood of the church. You know, we need, if we, if we just uh, look after the older people and, and don't think of the youngsters, we're not going to have a church in 20 years' time. You know, we've got to be thinking of things. And we've got such a forward-thinking church in that respect. Lots of other churches are struggling out there, you know? So I, I, I feel blessed, you know, and as I say, for me, when, whenever, I, whenever I go out, whether it's with, with, the, with the prison ministry or whether it's when I go into these other churches, I always want to take some of the, some of the soul of this church, you know, some of, something that we, because we, as I say, honestly do not appreciate what we've got. When I go into other churches, I see the difference. You know, I see the heart that we've got, you know, and I, I try and take as much of Kings wherever I go, you know. So um, I'm going to do a, a song first with just the guitar. And uh, if you know the song, it, it, it isn't, I think it's an older hymn, I think, but, but don't ask me. Since I've been doing this, I've had to learn, um, and Bob is a, a big encourager in that respect. He says, do you know this, this uh, song, this hymn? I say, no, Bob, you know, but I get on the YouTube and I learn it, you know. <laughs> So, you know, and I think to myself, cool, that's a good and I enjoy that, you know, but it's nothing like Hillsong, um, you know, none, none of these uh, sort of modern uh, songs or something, you know, but for me, it's not about being whether it's modern or whether it's old or whether, it's whether it's got heart, whether, whether it praises God, you know. 
And, and the, the, the first one, if you know it, please join in. I, I, this is not me entertaining you. This is me singing from my heart to God, okay? That's what it's about, you know? And um, I think, you know, we've all, we all go through things. We're all, we're all going through things. Um, and sometimes life isn't very good. You know, but I always thank God because I think, you know, he is in control and he knows where we're going. I don't know where I'm going sometimes, but he knows, you know. So this is really to say thank you, okay? Am I on? Yeah, okay. I come before you today and there's just one thing that I want to say. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for all you've given to me, for all the blessings that I cannot see. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, with a grateful heart, with a song of praise, with an outstretched arm, I will bless your name. Thank you, Lord, I just want to thank you, Lord. took my darkness and gave me your light. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You took my sin and my shame. You took my sickness and healed all my pain. Thank you, With a song of praise, with an outstretched arm, I will bless your name. Thank you, Lord. I just want to thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I just want to thank you, Lord. With a grateful heart. With a song of praise, with an outstretched arm, I will bless your name all together. Thank you, Lord. I just want to thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I just want to thank you, Lord. Thank you, Okay, one more song to go from me, and then I'll see you next Christmas, okay? 
I don't know, I don't know. But uh, going back um, some time ago, I was in my music room and a song came to me, uh, you know. So um, about, about uh, two and a half years, maybe a bit longer, I wanted to make a CD of the songs I'd written. So this was one of them. And uh, I got in touch with James uh, and I went up to see him. But when I got up to see him, I didn't take my songs with me. I took recordings that I'd made at home of my wife singing, okay? Secular songs. But uh, this was probably around the October time or something like that. And I, I said to James, I said, what can, you, what, what can we do with this, you know? And um, what a fantastic musician James is. Absolutely brilliant, you know? And he helped me uh, put these songs on a CD, and I presented them to my wife at Christmas time. I gave her about 30 CDs, and it was mainly for the family, etc. But they've all gone, James. We're in the charts. <laughs> but then uh, it took about another. It took honestly, it took about another 15 months before James had a spot that he could fit me in to do this to the CD that I wanted to do, and. Um, I was blessed because we had uh, Noel and Haley came along to sing on the backing tracks, and uh, Rianne, uh, you know, I don't think she comes to this church now, but Rianne came along, and James also did some of the backing tracks as well, uh, did some singing on them. But I must admit, I mean, when you listen to this uh, song, just think that all the backing was done by James, okay? Except for, except for the saxophone, I think it was, Jimmy. <laughs> but um, it, 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 for me, it blew me away. And I remember when Haley and Noel came down to do their bit one evening, and uh, we were there, and we were talking about it. And do you know what? When I listened to what James had done, we, we're, he's on my wavelength, or I'm on his wavelength, whichever way go, whichever way about. But um, when I listened to what James had done, the song had come from a just a sort of a just a thing played on this uh, uh, six-string guitar to a lovely orchestration, you know? And it, it, it blew me away what James had done with it and all the songs on the CD. But uh, I'm going to do this one for you because it, uh, it talks about uh, God's amazing grace, okay? Lord, I'm on my knees 
always amazing before I ask Paul and Helen to close with a prayer I want to say to you let's go back to that title a test of faith it's not just a test of faith for us going in when you think of these men and women these young people they've come to come to prison They've started going to the chapel over a period of time. Because you know with Mick, it took time. Over a period of time, they give their life to the Lord. We see it. And then it's a test of faith. Because they're going out. And they're going out to the same places, to the same people, to the same temptations. It's a test of faith. And so we say to them, Psalm 31, I trust in the Lord. I will be glad and rejoice in your love, for you saw my affliction. You knew the anguish of my soul. You've not handed me over to the enemy. You've put my feet in a spacious, safe place. And if they can't remember that, we say, just remember the first line. I trust in the Lord. I trust in the Lord. And you know what? When they can't remember that, we give them the words of a song we often sing here. And we say to them, when it's three o'clock in the morning and you're frightened, remember these words. I'll sing the night into the morning. I'll sing my fear into your praise. 
I'll sing my soul into your presence whenever I say your name. Let the devil know, not today. Whenever I say your name, Jesus, let the devil know, not today, not now, not ever again. Will you shout this out with me? I'm standing on Jesus' name. So let the devil know, not today, no, no. Not now, not ever again, Jesus. Let the devil know, not today. That's the message we take into the prisons. Wow. What testimonies, eh? We have a very simple prayer. Helen's going to start. Um, well, it's just when I was thinking about what to pray. Um, I just thought of uh, 1 Samuel um, chapter 16, verse 7. And this is the time when Samuel came um, to anoint David as the next king after Saul. And uh, Samuel comes um, to Jesse and says, you know, where are your sons? And, and Jesse parades his sons before him. And um, uh, Samuel looks at the eldest one and on Eliab and says, Surely the Lord's anointed is before me. But the Lord said to Samuel, Look not on his appearance or at the height of his stature. <sighs> For I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. For man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And it's just the fact that God has positioned those men, if you like, or the women in the prison. And God is the one looking at their hearts. And uh, we might look at the outward appearance and think, well, maybe sometimes you might judge somebody and say, well, okay, they did wrong. They need to be in there. But God knows everything. And uh, yeah. So our prayer is that as a ministry, we would have the grace of God to go in and preach Christ crucified to these men, not our own clever words, but to see God's power at work in the prisons, to see God changing the lives of these people and changing our lives as we work in them, that his name is glorified, that his children are brought home. That he, pay, that he gets for himself what he has paid so completely for. Friends of God, blessed by God, saved by God, rescued by God as we have been. Let that be the ministry of the prison. And may God give us everything we need to do that. Amen. Why don't we give these guys a huge round of applause. What a ministry. Absolutely wonderful. And you know, isn't it great just to see, right, not just to hear that we've got a prison ministry, but to really see into what they do and understand their heart. And that's what we've seen this morning, you know. We've seen into why they do, like Dave said, why you do what you do. And they give so sacrificially. And just to hear, you know, each and every one just testify and speak in the way that you do. Do you know what? We want to commend you. 
you know, for, I'm telling you, for doing the hard miles, for doing the hard miles. If you asked, if you asked the team, you know, would you like to be here every week? I'm sure there's lots of Sundays, you know, where they would like to sit back and just come and, and relax in church. But you know what? They, they want to serve Jesus and, and the Lord has placed this on their heart. And like we said, you know, Jesus's life was always about other people. And that's what we've seen this morning in what you've said and in the way that you serve. So come on, let's thank God and continue to pray. Continue to pray. And you know, if you're here today and you've been, you've been really inspired by what you've heard, we all have been inspired, but you want to take the next step and maybe, you know, you'd like to join the team with, with the guys. Have a chat with Dave, you know, and, and you know, if you've, if you've been here for a while and you really feel that this is your home church, then maybe a next step for you might be getting involved with the prison ministries. Not only will you be a blessing to others, but you know, like, like Paul said, and, and Helen said right at the end, you will be blessed by being a blessing too. So as they, as they um, go back to their seats, come on, let's show our appreciation. <laughs> to them this morning. We've gone over a little this morning. But do you know what? It's been well worth it, hasn't it? We've, we've gone over our usual. But do you know what? It's been so well worth it. We are just going to um, close in a moment just by singing. And then um, I think we've got lunch. Fantastic. We're going to turn the hall around and we're going to have lunch. But do you know what Mick said this morning was, was quite amazing. Just talking about his own personal journey of inviting Jesus into his heart described it wonderfully Mick you know just about that cell that he was in personally where he talked about being a captive inside and those those bars of of guilt and shame and unforgiveness and then slowly over the years through you know terrific events that he underwent in his life he opened that door and instead of going out he found that Jesus rushed into his heart you know in lots of different ways, many of us have had that same experience, been on a different journey to Mick, but we've all experienced that moment where Jesus has come into our lives. Our lives have been in pieces and the Prince of Peace has taken each piece and given his peace. Maybe you're here today and that resonated with you. You thought, wow. You know, just like Mick, you're looking for meaning. Just like Mick, you may feel empty. You, you may not have, you know, been on the same journey that Mick's been on. Your life may seem very normal, you know, as to the extremities that Mick went through. But, but still you're empty, still you're lonely. Do you know what? Jesus doesn't want you to live another moment with that feeling of guilt, shame, unforgiveness that we're all really aware of, that we're all really, you know, accustomed to. He wants to be your savior. I'm gonna pray a prayer right now. Listen, you haven't even got to repeat this prayer. You ain't got to put your hand up. You ain't got to do anything. You've simply just got to place your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. And you've got to, you've just got to open your heart like Mick did. And I'm telling you now, you will find him, Jesus. 
to be your savior, to be the one that can give you that peace and be that one that comes into that empty space inside and, and fill it in such a wonderful way. I'm going to pray that prayer. You just simply, if you, if you want to say it with me, you can. It might help. And listen, something's going to take place right now. Jesus is going to come into your heart and you're going you're gonna to find him every day with you. Lord Jesus, say this after me, just really quietly in this moment. If you've never asked Jesus into your heart, say these words, Jesus, today I ask you to forgive me my sin. Please come into my heart. I open the door by asking you right now to be my savior. I open my heart right now by asking you to come into my life. Forgive me. I believe you died. You rose again. I want you to be my savior, my friend. Amen. Amen.